You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abrocha, this is On Principle, and I'm here with Rabbi Yitzchel Kolakowski in White Lake, New York. Uh, Rabbi Yitzchok, thanks for being with here with us on such short notice. Um, and you know that this program is called On Principle Challenges in Jewish Education. And you are an educator, but an educator in the most unusual way. We've had principals. We've had uh, people who run programs on college campuses. We have uh, people who do Dafyomi virtually. Um, incredible rabbeim, incredible teachers, and an interesting interpretation of what a teacher is. But I think we're really stretching ourselves and bringing in a different type of teacher, a teacher who presently is teaching and ministering to not only Jews, but actually people of different faiths, and specifically giving them not only the Dvar Hashem, but Chizuk and Idud, many, many uh, inmates of prison in upstate New York, correct? So I think that under the umbrella of a teacher, we definitely, you definitely, that's definitely part of what's in your uh, resume right now, correct? So you deserve to be on the On Principle show just for that. But there's much more, correct? Thank you, sir. Yes, I, I serve as the facility chaplaincy program director. That's my official title at the State Correctional Institute in Waymart, Pennsylvania, actually over the border, not too far from New York where I live. And I'm also the Jewish chaplain at the Rockland Psychiatric Center in Orangeburg, New York. And people always ask me, you go all the way to Pennsylvania. I said, I've been going to Orangeburg for five years, and that's 80 miles away. And the Pennsylvania border is only about 10 miles away. And this is, uh, prison's about 40 miles. So it's, it's a nice, a nice position. I'm the first rabbi to hold the position of head chaplain of facility chaplaincy program director in any Pennsylvania state prison, and I believe I'm also the first rabbi to have a full-time position in the Pennsylvania state prison system. Every prison has a part-time rabbi that serves a few hours a week, but I'm the first one to, and actually our prison has has a rabbi who who serves part-time, Label Itkin, who's a Chabad rabbi from Scranton. Which the, the prison's about twenty minutes from Scranton, but I'm I'm serving full time, supervising all the different religions. So part wow. of my job just recently was to hire a new imam, hire two new Protestant pastors because our imam got a full time job in the federal prison, and the Protestant pastor who had served for many years in the federal prisons retired to our prison part time, and then decided to retired down south so i had to hire some some new people so tell our um, listeners it's fascinating I me mean, you know obviously you spoke for two minutes and you threw so much information there and, and there's so many things i could probably hook into but just to give our listeners a sense of things and myself um the prison has how many guests or inmates how many people are are, are, are currently in the prison in way interesting yeah, the interesting thing is is that the population has dropped a lot 
since the COVID-19 pandemic reaction has started. We were down to a, a, a round, a, under 1,100 at this time. We were averaging closer to 1,400 for a long time, and our population has shrunk a lot. And we are a a prison that focuses on programs, particularly for mental illness programs. So we're kind of a magnet for the whole Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for mental illness programs. We have several units that are dedicated to helping the mentally ill. And we have other inmates who are in general population who have severe mental illness. And I deal with all of these inmates of various uh, religious uh, and, and spiritual traditions uh, both those who are who are suffering from mental illness and who are not. So it was a good segue from my other position in Rockland Psychiatric Center. And it happens that my my bachelor's degree was in psychology at, at Turo College. So it kind of it was all in the Shemayim that I should be finding this position where I'm serving the mentally ill. And over there we have a a chaplain who serves particularly the mentally ill. He's an, a Russian Orthodox Christian priest, but his main ministry is not to the four or five Orthodox Christians that are there, Eastern Orthodox Christians, but rather mostly to the mentally ill inmates. Uh, it, that's his main, his main service. And he actually also is a professor in the seminary nearby there, Russian Orthodox Seminary in Canaan, Pennsylvania, which is just right next to Waymart. And he actually brings the students who are learning to be priests into the prison once a week in order to that they should be interns. It's part of their training for their internships that they have to have field work. And that's one of the requirements for their accreditation there. And so, uh, technically, I'm a I'm an adjunct prof- professor in in the in the seminary because I bring the I bring around the uh, the seminarians around the prison and, and help see. them with, with that. You're 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 acquiring title after title in your young life here. You know, it's going to be hard to uh, uh, to. And again, I don't want to give away so much of your past history, but. Um, you are a certain, uh, you are somewhat of a celebrity, uh, I know, in the Chassidish Welt and in other places. And, and we'll talk about that maybe as we go on. But I'm, I'm ha- what, what I'm getting from you is that, all, that this is a prison that has a lot of Rahmanis. This is a prison that has a lot of services. First of all, I guess they released a, a couple hundred inmates because they were worried about COVID outbreaks, right? They were worried about people uh, becoming infected through COVID. And the second thing, which I think is interesting, is that the amount, uh, although it's a state prison in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania, of course, is a state that's known for, it's the place of the Quakers, right? Um, that's why it's a commonwealth, that it sounds like they actually do quite a bit of, uh, of, of whether teaching or therapy or, or, or other norm, people from the, the world to interact with the prisoners. And it sounds like it's a place that, uh, is built, you know, we have this idea, again, I grew up watching movies uh, from Hollywood in the 40s and 50s and 30s, 40s and 50s, where prisons were, you know, the most violent, uh, difficult places where the where the wardens were sadistic. It sounds to me that there's quite a bit of, of Rahmanis and compassion 
in the place that you work. Is, 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 am, I, am I picking it up correctly, or are you just uh, presenting it as such a place? No, you're you're 100% right. There certainly is a level of Rahmanis throughout the DOC in Pennsylvania that they do care about helping the inmates. But the inmates have to be self-motivated to a certain extent, and they do have different programs in, in various prisons for those who are self-motivated and want to get out and get back into the world. And Waymart was always known as one of those that's called the go-home jail, that if you do your programs, you do what you're supposed to do, can get an education, you can turn your life around and, and get back on your feet. And what happened when the COVID outbreak took place was that a lot of people who were due anyway for parole got their parole, even though generally it might have been a question whether or not they would have in other times, but a lot more people were paroled than usually would be. And they were not replaced. That was the major thing, because we always had a, a, a lot of overturn in the prison. But this was something that guys left and they were not replaced. You know, I, I would be, as the head chaplain, I'd need to keep an eye on all the religions. Every inmate is supposed to be registered as a religion. And every now and then you'll get someone who comes into the system and didn't get registered in any particular with any particular religious preference. And they don't, they're not listed as anything. And my job would be to go over and find out, well, what do you want me to list you as? And I've had people who come in, they might be listed as one thing or another, and they change that as well. So I remember one point, I, it was before either a Yontiv or a Tainus, might have been before Pesach, and I need to know who, who is getting a Pesach later. And I see a new guy comes in, he's listed as Jewish. And I had a feeling that he really wasn't Jewish, but I treat everyone the same, and I'm not going to discriminate if someone identifies as Jewish. I, I, I don't, I'm not interested in discriminating against them, even if I were allowed to. And it came, uh, I came up to this gentleman, though, and instead of asking him, are you Jewish, I just asked him, which religion are you? And he told me he was from the Aksatru, or sometimes called the Odinists, which are Norse pagans. If anything could be more the opposite of Yiddishkeit would be this religion. And uh, I said, well, you were listed as Jewish. He said, yeah, I, I was looking into that, but I, this, this kind of <laughs> talked to him more. And actually, I think at this point we actually have, I think more, they, they, I mean, they keep, they keep Wednesday as their Shabbos, right? Well, Odin's day, Wednesday yes. is Odin's yeah. day. That's yeah. A special day, but really, <laughs> most of most of the days of our week uh, have a name. You know, Tuesday. I'm just saying the Odinists. Maybe they keep Wednesday as their Shabbos. I'm just wondering. Yeah, it. Wednesday is a special day for them. It's not exactly a Shabbos. They don't have the concept of a Shabbos, but you know, Thursday is Thor's day. That's also each of the days they sure they recognize their their deities that they that they have, believe they have a fellowship with and. A lot of a lot of inmates are drawn to that religion because it's kind of uh, it has not that the religion itself necessarily has that, but there's certain certainly a component of people who were attracted to this who might be white supremacists or something like that, and that's why you have a certain element of that in the prison system. Right. I this, actually this, went out of my. It sort of like ties into the whole Nordic race, the whole Aryan Nordic race idea that uh, was popular in Germany in the 
uh, in the turn of the 20th century that Hitler embraced with, although he didn't look anything like a Nordic Aryan, but still that was the, uh, you know, I I could see where that's coming from. You said that the, that the Weimar is a, it's a prison, but it's Weimar. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I apologize to yeah, if any you're of them. talking about Hitler, and you turn to Weimar. So that's yes, it. yes. Well, the connections come fast and furious sometimes here. So, w- would you say that you're saying that the, in in um, in Weimar, there most of the prisoners there have some sort of mental health issue, right? In other words, so you, do you have? They're all diagnosed with some sort of mental health problem. Although they might have also been, they also might have committed serious crimes as well. In other words, do you well, have they, do you have murderers, rapists, and, and things like that there? Yes, they're they're housed there because they committed serious crimes. But if their if if their mental illness requires attention, they could either be sent from another prison because we have a mental health unit and we can take care of that which is a, a certain unit in the prison that's really specifically for inmates who came from other prisons and the other prisons couldn't handle them and they send them to us. Not all the inmates are, are listed as mentally ill. We do have educational programs. We do consider very much that it's a department of corrections and not a department of punishment. And so education is a tremendous part of what Waymart does. They do have a, every prison has an education program, but the education programs at Waymart are top notch. They'll have a graduation ceremony once a year where actually their family can come in and see, you know, their son who never graduated high school now officially graduate high school. He gets to put on his cap and gown and walk down the aisle and get his diploma. And some, some guys get specialty programs. They can learn culinary arts. They can learn actually uh, beautician, hairdressing, barbershop work, and they, practice on their fellow inmates or even if staff members technically would want to get their hair cut i i don't understand why anyone would do that but some of the well, maybe of the maybe you, maybe you need your pay to you know what i'm saying yeah. it's possible you know it's hard to keep them that way i i know yeah. I, I i used to have long pay myself and um and i and i and for our listeners uh i guess we should point out that uh the rabbi uh is in his complete Hasidic regalia, right? You go, and 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 I think that's probably a first too that they had uh, a chaplain who not only was a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, but someone who clearly is representative of what's considered, you know, the most Orthodox in a way, or the the the, the, the Jewish. I mean, certainly, most most of our chaplains are Orthodox. Most of them are Chabad. Uh, we only have a handful of. I'm saying the Jewish chaplains that serve around the state, some of them travel around. They're mostly appointed by the Aleph Institute Northeast Branch, which is in Pittsburgh. And they actually are contracted through them, a lot of them, not all of them. Um, But we do have a few rabbis who are Reconstructionists, because from the Reconstructionist Seminary that's in the Philly area. Um, so I think there are two or three who are Reconstructionist, and I believe one or two who are maybe, I think one is a traditional but non-affiliated, you know, someone maybe had more, I think actually he's a, technically he calls himself Cantor and not Rabbi, but he's kind of a colbo in his, in his uh-huh. little school where he serves, which is I think more of a traditional conservative shul maybe. 
It's fascinating. So really, you know, it really is an eye-opening thing to me. In other words, uh, this is really a big schuss for the Chabadskers and for yourself. That yeah. You're, yeah, I come I come in with my strimal cholamoyed, and uh, everybody gets a kick out of it. Uh, the CEOs you don't want have, something. What about the PETA members? You might have some PETA members there. That might no, we don't. We, we have everybody. Everybody there is. Uh, I would say from the staff there, 90% are... Uh, They're hunters. Most of them have yeah. got, right? Most of them go out and hunt. <laughs> yeah, one guy goes and traps. He, he tells me about all the different animals that he catches. And it is, he sets out traps and, and sells the pelts. And uh, they tend to be more more politically conservative. Well, it's an out of art that Pennsylvania is basically uh, in between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. It's Alabama in the middle. That's what uh, it, that's 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 part of the reason why it's such a battleground state. Well, let me just get to the points here that we wanted to talk about, which is the first one is let's be to the Yiddish teaching. Weimar right now has a number of Jewish inmates as well. Do you find that you can somehow give them some das Hashem or give them some chizuk or give them some sort of um, connection to to Torah in, in some sort of educational way? I mean, Baruch Hashem, we don't have so many Jews there. We ha- And we try our best to give them over something, uh, you know, it's a Yiddish between me and Rabbi Itkin. We make sure they are able to do mitzvahs. They're, they have access to be able to get to fill in and tzitzahs. And if they don't have their own, we have a pair of fill-in that they could put on. We have a shoifer there. They can light Hanukkah and menorahs. The problem is this year with COVID-19, everything was shut down. And so anything that couldn't be delivered to their housing units was a big problem. It was a big fight to get them to be allowed to come to the chapel. A few guys were all in the same unit to one the one inmate who knows how to blow chauffeur uh and a few others who wanted to listen that they could come for five minutes for a chauffeur blues and Baruch Hashem, we were able to accomplish it that was the only religious gathering in the chapel for any religion wow really since um since uh since this all began in april or so we Baruch Hashem, we had megillah laning rabbi itkin came and laid the megillah but really from then on, Pesach, the guys had, usually they get to come together and have a Seder together. And instead it was delivered to their unit, but they got to have Dalad Koisis, grape juice, and they had matzah. They even had a little shmora matzah that was sent to them. Uh, so Baruch Hashem, they're able to, they had uh, mara and, and karpas and every, everything they needed to have a, have a Pesach Seder. Baruch Hashem, so that was, and, so... That itself is, a, is obviously educational yeah. experience. Rav Yitzchak, I know you're somebody that um, you you're probably one of the few people that can do the job as well as you do, and with such compassion and understanding and, and such breadth of knowledge as you do. But your job doesn't define you. Uh, this is something that you do, and you do it with Ava. But you obviously are somebody with a very interesting background and someone who continues to strive and understand. And, and and from the conversation I had with you earlier before we started recording, I I get the distinct impression that um, you don't treat uh, the the various uh, groups and the various religions, uh, the various 
religious members that you come into contact with in any sort of condescending way, uh, despite the fact that you know that you're part of the Amanivchar and you're part of the Klal Yisrael that has such a tremendous uh, tachlis in the world, you, you, you are sensitive and understand that there's innate spirituality in many of the religions. And whether, I'm not sure if it's in the Odinism, but clearly in, in some of the other, uh, even the ones that are right here in front of us, and I know that this Saturday night um, is All Hallows' Eve, uh, and, which ushers in, of course, uh, what was known, especially in the, all the South American cultures, as the Day of the Dead. November 1st was um, historically known as the Day of the Dead, the day, and that night sort of ushers in that um, aspect of the remembering and thinking about death and in, in the South American cultures, you actually have this idea of the the dead coming back, or at least being held in the held in the hearts of those that remember them uh, during that night. And I think that's part of what sort of got bastardized into Halloween, um, right? That Halloween became. Uh, I know it was you know the trick or treat has to do with being sending like a stickle <laughs> a stickle portion to the to the spirits. Uh, and if you don't send them something, if you're not mocker that they're alive, if you don't really recognize that there is a world beyond this world and that the dead don't just disappear, that's when you sort of get tricked. That's when you sort of, uh, you, you sort of are, are high of the Onish. That's really the, the sort of the, the Svara behind Halloween. Um, and I, again, even here in the Jewish neighborhood where I live, um, there's plenty of Halloween um, uh, paraphernalia on the homes, even in the midst of COVID and people talking about death. So, um, is, 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 is that part not Wiccans and not Odin's? Are you dealing a little bit also? I mean, is this going to come up, uh, to find the spiritual aspect of Halloween, uh, in some way? Cause I know that you have some interest in it. Well, it's absolutely uh, the Wiccan. Certainly, they, that's part of their religion. You know, we we tend to think that Halloween is just a secular holiday, but we forget that it's really based in and rooted in deeply religious and spiritual ideas, like you mentioned. And there's there's the concepts behind that, and of course, the Catholic Church in the 800s recognized the popularity of of those beliefs around that time of the year, which essentially a lot of the pagan cultures believe the way that it's often expressed is that the veil is thinned between this world and the other world. And so it's kind of almost like a portal in time that, you know, you can have this connection to those who have passed on. And the Catholic church, they turned it into all saints day on November 1st and all souls day on November 2nd. And the similarities between these various groups, both those that, you know, are outwardly and, and honestly and openly pagan, like the Wiccans and the Odinists, as, and then those who claim to be in the Judeo-Christian realm, like the Catholics and Russian Orthodox and so forth, the similarities between these various ideas, it's a deeply spiritual and certainly in the catholic church it's a religious day it's a day of it's a holy day of obligation in the catholic church to have the all saints day 
uh, All Souls Day is not a holy day of obligation in the Catholic Church, but it's still a day that's very widely marked. And this idea of uh, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, in, in, in Mexico and, and in Latin, throughout Latin America is, of course, rooted in, in their Catholic tradition. It's very much part of their culture. But it expresses itself, obviously, in a much more traditionally pagan way as opposed to what would traditionally be seen as a Judeo-Christian way, much more in, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in the Latin American countries. And yet it's still, as you mentioned, Rabbi, that it's, there is an idea behind it that's, there's a certain muster behind it. It's a certain idea that is not just bringing these offerings to these to the spirits that have passed on, but to really remember your own mortality. And in a, in a certain sense, all of these pagan groups, a lot of them recognize that many of them don't actually believe in these practices that they embrace, but see them more in a sense of almost like a Jungian archetype. They certainly look up very much to Carl Jung. That seems to be a, a common denominator, not only with these uh, Western pagan groups, but even some of the Eastern traditions, some of the, the Buddhists and others look up very much to Jung. And then I often hear rabbis also hearken to Jung, even though he wasn't Jewish, and he uh, kind of admitted that he felt some latent anti-Semitism in his heart, but he also had a tremendous Ahavas <laughs> he and and a appreciation for Soitis Torah to the point where he wrote in his personal diary that he had a vision of, of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai uh, inviting him to chasana between some of the various spheres. And, but these ideas of these different Jungian archetypes really come out is that there's something, all of these languages and all these rituals and things are to bring out something much more deep and that's within us and that we shouldn't forget, you know, our own mortality and so forth. Even you can point to Jewish practices that are controversial in some in some circles, like Kaporis. People think, you know, it, it's it's some kind of a superstitious thing that that your averus are passed on to the chicken, and it seems like something almost that people, you know, some of our Poiskim said could be dark amori, but then there's others who view it really almost like you could say in a, a Jungian archetypical way that is just to remind us of our own mortality and also to remind us again that there's more, you know, like Shakespeare said, there's more in heaven and earth than Bremt of your philosophy. We, we, there's not just what we see with our own eyes. There's much more behind the scenes. Yeah, I, 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 I would add to that that even the way, as I said, it was bastardized in the West to turn into dressing up uh, in various costumes various monstrous costumes is really a way of confronting in a sense the ultimate uh, fear, the ultimate monster which is death. I think that cultures like the Native Americans that we talked about uh, before we started recording earlier today and other um, um, co- other types of uh, societies have a much easier uh, and, and do not fear death in the same way that so much many people in the West do. And I think that uh, part of the COVID anxiety uh, has to do with 
this the fear of death. I think a a um, a community that is able to navigate into death um, that and is is able to be stronger. Part of the problem, I think, is people who are who are the idea of shipping people off to the hospitals uh, when they get so ill. So you die somewhere else. Uh, obviously, the time of Chazal, everyone died at home. <laughs> that's why the Gemara always speaks about tumas in the house and everything like that, because that's where it happened. I think that um, that was ultimately, I think, a healthier, uh, because they weren't so wound up. I think what Halloween is able to do, even in the most grow up a secular way is to actually confront yeah, not the monster from outer space and not uh, Catwoman or Spider-Man but actually to confront what do you think the ghosts are? The ghosts are really um, the sense of you're not going to live forever and there is something that, that your time on this mortal plane is limited and, and so I think there is something uh, to be, I'm, not, I'm not in any way, shape or form condoning Halloween exercises, but there's, it isn't just a, a chance to play dress up. It's not just a chance to have a costume party. There's something else going on. And, um, you know, I think that psychological exercise, it's, it, it comes down to, again, those, those Jungian archetypes uh, that people try, you know, they, they're trying to deal with their own mortality in their own ways. It's interesting though, Rabbi, what you brought up about the uh, about dying in a hospital as opposed to dying at home. And you mentioned before that it seems that the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, they have a, a lot of Brahmanas. One thing they try as much as possible to do, if it's possible, it's not always possible, and we do have a geriatric wing at Waymart, is that if someone is dying, there seems to be a preference if you can't get them home to die at home, which if we're able to do, we sometimes try to accomplish that, but that at least they should die in a hospital and not die in the prison. But that's also to make it clear that the prison is not home, you know, so it's a, uh, there is, it, it, it has some symbol. In other words, to die in prison is almost like he was never redeemed at all. If we send them to a hospital to die, at least there's the idea that he's he's he was more than just an inmate. That at least at the yeah. end of his life he died like everyone else. Well, it's, it's a very yeah very somber note to end on. But I think we've we've definitely ricocheted a lot around from maybe even more than Rockland, uh, Orange County, and uh, and 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 into Waymar and to Pennsylvania, New York, and here from New Jersey. So I, I want to thank you a lot for 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 giving us uh, the tip of the iceberg of what the type of uh, large-scale uh, involvement with humans and education and Kirov uh, that you do. And perhaps we'll uh, get a chance to schmooze again now that you have my telephone number. <laughs> and you know it again onto my Zoom. We'll try to do this another time. So that's it for this edition of On Principle. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.